finished up our series on the disciples, or the apostles, the 12 apostles, and we, we kind of left off at Acts chapter 1, and then we were actually going to start a new study this week going into the Old Testament, uh, and then I decided not to do that, and here's why. As I went back and looked over my notes from preaching in previous years, we went through Acts about, I don't know, a number of years ago, we went through the book of Acts, but I realized we started at chapter 9 with the Apostle Paul. So we haven't covered chapters 1 through 8. Chapters 1 through 8 are about the church and how it started and all that was involved in the starting of the church and, and all of that. So I thought, you know what, that's a good place for us to be right now as we go forward, as we're building and things like that. Let's talk about how this whole church thing started, what was important. They faced a lot of issues in the first eight chapters of Acts, and we'll go through those and, and give us some insight to maybe help us so that we don't make some of the mistakes and, and struggles that they had. So uh, with that in mind... We're going to start in Acts chapter 2 this morning, and if you want to know what's going to happen, you can just kind of read ahead, and we're going to kind of walk through it verse by verse. So, Acts chapter 2, we're going to throw it up here, and uh, we're going to walk through it um, section by section. So, we're going to start here. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Uh, verse 3 says, yeah, we, we gotta, I have to make them bigger, so now we got to click. Uh, then there appeared uh, to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, first four verses, we've got a whole lot of stuff packed in there. Let's walk through the sections of it so we all understand what's going on. The disciples, the apostles, the 12 guys, they've, Judas, Judas took his life. They replaced him with Matthias. So now we have the 12 disciples uh, gathered. You have Jesus dying, died, buried, and resurrected. He spends 40 days on the earth. He then leaves, Acts chapter 1. They pick another disciple, and then nothing. So here's a question. You've been following Jesus for three years. He goes away, well, he dies on a cross, he comes back, you get to experience or see him, then you watch him in Acts chapter 1 leave and go up into heaven, now what do you do? Because that's what these people were faced with. Now what do they do? What are they supposed to do? How are they supposed to go forward? What's supposed to happen now? And that's really the story that, that we're faced with in Acts chapter 2. And it says, when Pentecost was come. What you need to understand is in the Jewish world, there were three feasts or three festivals that every male Jew over the age of 20 had to travel to Jerusalem and attend. The first was Passover. Every male Jew made the trek to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Uh, and then the next feast was 50 days later. That was Pentecost. And that was one they traveled for. And then the other one comes later in the year, known as the Feast of Tabernacles. So that becomes important to our story. All right. Um, now, I'll give you a little bit of quick history. Jesus dies on the cross during Passover feast. All right. So think about this for a minute. If every male, every Jewish male from the age of 20 over has traveled to Jerusalem, we've got a pretty full city. Think of it like the Super Bowl in America. Everybody kind of converges on that city at, at, for that one event. That's what you would have for all three of these feasts. So you have all of these people that have come together, 
that Passover, uh, where Jesus ends up dying on the cross, they hear the story. Uh, they go back into their places. Then normally, the way the Jewish calendar works is it goes like this. There was um, the day after Passover, there was another feast called the Feast of First Fruits. Um, and then seven weeks after that, you have Pentecost. Uh, so do the math here. You have First Fruits, day after Pentecost, or the day after uh, Passover. Then you have seven weeks. So seven times seven is... 49, so add, add 49, yeah, new math, add 49 plus 1 and you get what? 50, okay? Pentecost means 50, okay? It's a Greek word for 50, 50 days. Um, at, at Pentecost was a celebration of a couple of things. It was the end of the harvest. The harvest came 49 days after first fruits, so it was the end of the wheat harvest. It was actually the beginning of the bar- barley harvest. So Pentecost comes at the end of that time. They all get together, and there's a grain offering made. Now, there were a couple of things that were always true on these feast days. Um, One was everybody over the age of 20 had to come, even male. Second thing, it was a day of no work. So everybody was off. Uh, there 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 was no work on that day. And they had certain things that were, were prescribed on those days, certain offerings that would be done and those kinds of things on those particular days. So you have... Um, a, a large group of people that have come into Jerusalem now on Pentecost to celebrate the feast. All right. Now, the text says that they are gathered together in one place. Here's a question that we don't know. We don't know how many people. We know the 12 apostles are there. There could have been more. Uh, some people say there could have been as many as the 120 who would follow Jesus all the way from the baptism of John. Um, the baptism that John preached about. So we have a large group gathered, or we have a group of at least 12, most probably a little bit larger group than that, that are all assembled. It says, and this is important, suddenly there was a rushing wind, and we now see in Acts this double entree meaning kind of thing, and it comes up a lot here. Wind, you have a physical wind, Yet the Old Testament talks about the Spirit of God as a wind. You have cloven tongues like like as a fire. The Old Testament talks about God manifesting himself with fire. It was fire that led the children of Israel by day. Um, It's fire that's often, you know, you have it uh, often represented um, with that idea. And then you have the idea of the tongue, which was a physical tongue, as well as tongue... (laughs) meaning languages. So you have all these double ideas right off the bat as, as, as this kind of thing kind of lays itself out. It's important to note that when these people were there, here's what they were doing. Sitting. There you go, I, okay, so what? That's no big deal. No, no, that's a big deal. Here's why. They weren't gathered together going, Okay, God, come to us. Okay, God, do something with us. Okay, God, where do I? They're just sitting. In the, in the New Testament, Old Testament, if they're praying, they're either kneeling or standing. You don't sit and pray. Um, it, 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 it gives us some idea as far as their, their mindset. So they're just gathered together. They're sitting around. They're getting ready to celebrate Pentecost. And all of a sudden, there is this 
rushing wind that gets their attention. And then they have these little, again, if you've ever seen in religious art, if you've ever seen this depicted, uh, a lot of times what it is is like these little, it's like two little flames on their shoulders. Um, But it says that it came, um, appeared as cloven tongues of fire and lighted, and this is important, upon all of them. All of them. Not just certain, everybody in that group that was assembled experienced this. Um, and that's important because what you have at this moment is really the birth of the church. You see, you have to remember, Jesus, when he was with the disciples, the apostles, he said, look, I will send a comforter. After I go away, I'm going to send a comforter. He's going to come and he's going to be. Literally, the word is paraclete. It means one who comes alongside. So Jesus said, look, after I go away, I'm going to send somebody to come alongside with you and be with you. Now, here's the thing. Jesus has left. Ten days go by and nothing. Now, all of a sudden, they see and hear something audibly and physically where there is a physical representation of a flame, if you will, on their shoulders. Again, fire often represented the the context of God. And so you see that automatically happening, and the Bible says they were all filled with the Spirit. Okay, I've got to take a little bit of rabbit trail here for just a second, right? So hang on. I might lose some of you. Those of you who have been around Christianity and church for a while, you can, you, 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 hopefully you can follow me. There's a difference in the Bible between um, being filled and receiving the Holy Spirit, Okay? We believe that when a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God comes and indwells them permanently. Okay? We then believe that there is a, if you will, some people use the term being filled or led by the Spirit of God daily. That is different. I I make the analogy this way. I have two sons, JT and Josh. There was a moment in which they were born physically into our family. Okay? They are physically my children. No matter what they do, whatever they do, okay, they're my children. Now, whether or not we have a great fellowship depends on what? Their behavior. Can they change the relationship? No, they'll always be my sons. Can they change the fellowship? Yeah. They change that by whether or not they they listen to dad and that kind of thing and, and, you know, growing up and all of that. The fellowship is something that is a daily thing. The relationship is something that happened at one time. When we talk about being a Christian, there is something that happens one time. The Bible, when you get into the New Testament, has a bunch of terms for this. And that's where this gets a little confusing. Um, For instance, sometimes it says like Saul was filled with the Spirit of God, talking about his salvation. Um, It sometimes says people are baptized in the Spirit of God. Uh, Sometimes it says uh, the Spirit poured out upon them, um, dealing with their salvation. Other times it says the Spirit came upon them. Other times it says they received the Spirit of God. Those are terms, a lot of times, that deal with the actual one-time event of indwelling the Holy Spirit of God in your life. And then we deal with the daily idea of being filled. The event we're talking about here 
is that indwelling at that one point in time. So these people, for the first time now in history, have the Spirit of God living physically on them so, so that people can see it, but the Spirit of God now is living in them as well. And you really have, again, it came upon the whole group. So this was really the birth of and the fulfillment of Jesus saying, I'm going to send a comforter who will come and permanently be with you. Um, all right. Second rabbit trail, and then I got to get back on the main road. There are people who believe that you can lose your salvation. So there are people who believe that you can get saved and then you can lose your salvation, right? Uh, we have people here who believe that, okay? And we have people here who believe you can't lose your salvation, okay? Um, I get it. I get both points, okay? And if I had to, I could argue both points, okay? I get where you're coming from. I get why you're going there. I get why these people are here. I get why they're coming from. As a church, we don't believe you can lose your salvation, right? The reason we don't believe that is because we believe that your salvation, the security of your salvation rests in God, not in your actions or your behavior towards God. Whereas people who believe that you can lose your salvation believe that, it has to do with your behavior towards God. And I understand how they get it. I understand why. I can argue it, okay? Um, so there's a difference here. But I believe that, and, and as a church we teach, that when you have become a genuine child of God, that's a permanent thing. And then God's going to deal with you accordingly. It's just like this is a permanent thing. Okay, they're my kids. Can't change that. Nothing I can do to, you know, if I, if I, if I ship them off for adoption, okay, which at one point was consideration. Um, <laughs> uh, if I ship them off for adoption, they're still my children, okay? And that's kind of how we look at that, all right? Um, and I can go to, you say, do you have a problem with people who believe? No, I don't have a problem at all. I got great friends and, and great people here who believe that. Um, we're going to teach this. Now, you want to talk to me privately? We can have some really fun arguments, okay? Because uh, we can have a lot of fun with this. Uh, because I, I get it. I, and like I say, I could, I could go here. I go either place. Here, we're talking about the Spirit of God coming upon these people. And then notice what happens when the Spirit of God comes upon them. What do they do? They speak with tongues. In other words, and then now here's another debate. Is that known languages or unknown languages? Okay? Here we go again. All right. We have people here who believe that uh, speaking in tongues is, is no longer for today. Okay? That it was of the miraculous age and the miraculous gift and it was a sign gift. And it, that's the position of our church. That's my personal position. Okay? We have other people who believe that you can speak in tongues, that that's something you should do. That, 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 and some people see it as a private language. Some people see it as a public thing. Um, we have good people here who believe this, good, good, good people who I love, who I fellowship with, who I have a great time with. They understand that this is what we teach and this is what we believe, okay? And we can agree to disagree, all right, on, on, on this issue. And I know how they come to this. I know, I understand 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and all of the, all of the passages that, that, that get to this point. I believe... For those of you who know what I'm talking about, Acts chapter 2 is about, wherever you are in a spectrum, I believe Acts chapter 2 is about known languages, okay? And, I, and I'm going to tell you why. 
because a little bit later here, the languages are actually listed. Okay? Um, they actually list out the language. The word tongue that's mentioned here could be interpreted either way. But by the time we get to verse 6 and on, it becomes clearer and clearer that these were languages that people could know and understand at the time. There's also a little phrase, for those of you who are interested, there's a little phrase in here called, as the Spirit enabled them. A lot of people don't pay attention to that when they look at Acts chapter 2. But that little phrase, as the Spirit enabled them, is a rare phrase used in the New Testament. Whenever it's referred to in the Old Testament, it's referring to the prophets who prophesied and spoke prophecies against somebody. It's a very, very specific word that, that has the idea, the context, of whatever was spoken was very clear. It was direct. It was, there was no ambiguity about the message. I understand that there are some people who say, well, well, I think that what happened was it was an unknown language, and God, in the hearing of the people, interpreted it, them to hear it in their own language. Here's my problem with that. My problem with that is the focus of the text is the speaking, not the hearing. And if everybody got to hear it in their own language and it was spoken in another language, why not just speak it in Greek and everybody could hear in their own language? It doesn't make sense for everybody to be doing this. So that, that, that's where I struggle. Here's the bottom line of this passage. You have a whole bunch of people gathered together at Pentecost from all over the known world at that time. If you're God and you have just come to the earth and lived 33 years, died for the sins of the people, came out of an empty tomb, or came out of a tomb and left it empty, walked on the earth for 40 days. You now have gone 10 days without a permanent presence on the earth. And you have 20-year-old males from all over the known world assembled in one place at one time. That's pretty, it's a pretty unique opportunity to be able to take the gospel to the ends of the world in a very short amount of time. Again, we don't have radio, we don't have TV, we don't have internet, we don't have all of those things that take something that happens today here and, and the whole world knows about it within minutes. At this point in history, this is an opportunity. And so one of the things that happens is while they're just sitting there gathered together, God shows up. And these people then are able to um, take off, and, and the next thing you know. Um, we as a church don't believe this is for today, okay? You say, are you, are you saying God can't ever do it? No, 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 because I think that's against Scripture. I think Scripture warns against that. But I'm just saying it's the exception rather than the rule. Um, believe me, I would love to believe that this, is, this is a, that this is a common practice today. Then I could go to a missionary like Aaron and Lori and say, look, you don't need to go to eight years and learn the Papatar language to be able to share the gospel with them. You just go in there and speak in tongues, and God will give you a thing, and they can all hear the gospel, and then you can go on to the next tribe. Do I believe that God could use that, that they could go into a tribe where there's not any language and be able to share the gospel with that group of people instantly? I, yeah, I, I have to be able to go there in my mind because God... I, I don't want to put God on a box. But at this point in history, we don't have a permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit until this moment. And we don't have a written revelation of the Word of God. 
These people just have the Old Testament. The New Testament hasn't been written yet. There's no, there's no Bible they can go read. And so I see this as, 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 as falling in the category of the miraculous sign gifts. Why? These people need to authenticate their message that they were preaching. And in a world with no permanent dwelling of the Holy Spirit up until now, in a world with no written revelation of the Word of God other than the Old Testament, you know, everybody's selling something. How do you know what's true and what's not? And so the sign gifts really became a way to authenticate a message. And, and I believe there was a time in history that that was needed. Today, unfortunately, I think we're in a culture where we like the spectacular. And we tend, if we're not careful, to seek the signs and not the Savior instead. Um, now, I'm not saying people who believe this do this. Some do. Many of the ones that I know here don't. Okay, So um, I hope that's clear as, as we talk about this because it does get confusing. As we go into it, what happens? These guys now stand up and, and preach. And next week, we're going to see the, the end result that we're going to see the message that they preach. But here's what I want you to see in the next passage. Look at what it goes on to say in verse 5. And by the way, I'm going to get to where, how this affects you this week, so don't, don't worry. And then we're dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, the multitude came together, and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. So now what happens is, the group outside hears this wind thing and comes to check out what's going on. Uh, they were probably, most Bible scholars believe, they were assembled in the upper room, um, where it was kind of their meeting place anyway. Um, then they come, and so what? notice what happens. It goes on, and here's what the next verses say. Uh, they were all amazed and marveled, saying, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we are born? They're going... Okay, now wait a minute. Literally, in, in, in some of the other translations, these are a bunch of, of guys who never got a high school education. How in the world are we hearing it in our language? Um, they're unlearned men. How in the world are we, are we doing this? These guys are fishing. Well, how, how, how come we can do this? Okay. And then it goes on and lists it. Verse 9. Uh, here's what it says. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those who dwell in Macedonia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontius and Asia. Perga, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Liberia, joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. He's going to go on, you know, we're in Jerusalem. And these Galileans are talking about the works of God in our own tongue. And notice the response. It goes on, uh, verse 12, and here's what he says. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying one to another, whatever could this mean? So there's one group, and we're going to talk about them next week, who's sitting there going, okay, we got to know more, we got to figure this all out. The other group says they're drunk. Others mocking said these guys are full of new wine. So there's two, di- two completely different responses. One group says, hey, yeah, they're, you know, they're in. The other group's going, whoa, 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 whoa. These guys are loony. These guys, these, you know, they're drunk, you know, literally one. You know, it's early in the day and they're already drunk, um, is the idea. So, that's the story. Next week, we're going to talk about the message and, and the response. But today, here's, what I want, here's where I want us to go with it. Okay, so you're going, okay. <sighs> what helped me this week? I'm going to work tomorrow and I don't plan on speaking in tongues. So, help me out here. All right, here's the first thing. First principle I think that you see in this thing is this idea of the original focus of this story is to take the gospel to the world. Okay? 
Don't miss that. The whole point of this event, really, it's not the tongue thing. It's not, it's, it's not the Galilean thing. It, 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 the point of this whole thing is the fact that God, in this moment in history, is going to sow seeds for the gospel to go everywhere. Because you see, that's the heartbeat of God. God so loved the whole world. You want to know what our task is? You know what your task is tomorrow? You know what lays deep at the heart of God today? That the people in your world hear the gospel of Christ. That they hear the wonderful works of God. That they hear from your lips and my lips what God's doing. That's, that's, that's our task this week. And you go, well, you know, I, you know, I've invited them out to church. Look, I'm thrilled that you've invited them out to church. But you know what? If they hear it from me and if they hear it from you, you are far more effective than I can ever be. You know why? Because you have a relationship with them. And you can't impact people from a distance. You have to impact people up close. And they know your life. And you go, well, that's kind of why I don't want to share the gospel with them. Um, <clears throat> well, that's another issue, all right? Um, that's another issue that you work on. That's why we, we, we work on our lives. And that's why we try to fix things. But I, I just want to encourage you that the, the whole focus of this thing is that these people know the story. They know what Jesus is about. They know what God's about. And look, every, you, you, some of you are frustrated in your workplace because you're like, I don't know why God's having here. You know, I don't know. You know, I want to go do something else. I want to go like mission field. I want to go accomplish something. No, 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 no. God has you where God has you. And that's your world. And there is no one else who can reach that world like you can reach that world. That's why God has you there. And I want to encourage you, because some of you get, you know, you're like, you know, well, I'm just uh, whatever. Fill in the blank. No, 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 no. You're just a child of God as a light in a dark place. Because there are people who you're going to rub shoulders with, who you're going to see eyeball to eyeball this week, who need Christ. They need hope. They need a future. They need to know there's something out there in this life beyond themselves. And you and I have the opportunity to share that with them. You go, ah, oh, you know, I'm just afraid, you know, they're, they're going to ask me a Bible question. I'm not going to have an answer. You have an answer for everybody who asks you everything? Because I don't. You know, somebody asks me something, I go, I don't know, but I go figure it out. I go watch YouTube. You know, that's my solution. You know, I'll go check out what YouTube says. We'll figure it out. I'll get somebody an answer to a question if I don't have the answer for them. But here's the thing. Your story is your story. And that's what they need to hear. They need to hear how God made a difference in your life, how God changed your life. And we're going to talk about that next week. Second principle that I see here is, is this idea of God shows up when they weren't expecting God to show up. You get that? Henry Blackaby in his book talks about this idea that God is always at work around us. The difference between the people that God uses and the people that don't get used by God are the people that God uses realize that God is at work all around them. The people that, God, that don't get used by God are people who don't see God at work around them. It's the only difference. These people are sitting there. They're gathered together. They're just simply doing their thing, and God says, all right, now it's time. I'm going to use you. They weren't there to preach the gospel. They were there for Pentecost. 
They weren't there to, to, to speak in tongues and, and, and do it. No, no, they were there to be, be at the feast for Pentecost. They happened to have in common the fact that they were followers of Jesus Christ. They gathered together. They're sitting down. And the next thing you know, God says, now it's time for me to use you in a great way. I'm going to use this group of people right here. We're going to change the world. We're going to take the gospel everywhere. Just use this little group of people right here. It's going to start right here. I cannot stress the importance of the idea of being willing to let God use you in your world. I have talked to people who, I've challenged them with this, and I've talked to people and they've said, you know what, you're not going to, and I love the stories. The stories are so awesome. You know, they go, you're not going to believe this, but I'm sitting there talking, and I say, you know, I don't even know how it came about. Next thing I know, we're talking about Christianity, and I'm sharing with them how God's worked in my life. And, I mean, there's some, been some bizarre places that this has taken place in. You know, and they're like, it's the last thing that I expected. Why? Because they were willing to be used by God. God said, look, this is an opportunity, so let's take it. And they were willing to respond to it. These people were there for Pentecost, and God said, look, I want to use you in a great way. We're going to do this, and boom, this thing took off. Because they were followers of Christ. They wanted to follow Christ. They wanted to do what God wanted them to do. And, and, and I want to challenge them because some of you, 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 you are so intimidated by the world. And you're so intimidated that, that you're afraid. And I, and I respect this. You, you, you so value the importance of the Word of God and Christianity and, and, and what it means that you don't want to lead somebody astray. I understand that burden. Okay? But I also understand this. When God's in the middle of it, now, just think about this for a second. You're willing to be used by God. God brings somebody into your world who needs Christ. That person, God's working in their heart as well as yours, that person finally opens the door for you to say something about Christianity or about God or about, about the Bible. Do you really think if the God of heaven has gone to that much effort to orchestrate that whole situation, you can really say the wrong thing? I mean, that's it. No, God's put this whole thing together. Believe me, just open your mouth. He'll fill it. He'll give you the words to say. He'll give you this. You go, I'm just so afraid. I'm so afraid. Listen, perfect love casts out fear. Your love for the Lord overcomes your fear for saying the wrong thing. I can't tell you, you know, it's a good thing you don't live in my head, but... but my, 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 my kids will tell you, my wife will tell you, the number of times I go home from church and go, did any of that make sense? Because I know, and the guys back there know this. They know what's in my notes, and they know what I say up here, and I, at times they're like, they're going, okay, just throw it away. We'll just wait till he says click the next slide. Because there's an element at which I come in here every Sunday and say, okay, Lord, I know what I want to say. But I need to say what you need me to say because there are people out here who are at some point in their life and I need you to work in their hearts and my, my, my voice between the two of us that something comes across. And, and I've had people come up to me and go, oh, Pastor, I'm so glad you said that. And I'm looking at it going, you know what? We go, get the, we go get, listen to it on MP3. I never said that. But God put in your heart and in your hearing and in your mind what you needed to hear. And every Sunday that I stand up here, I stand up here with the attitude and with the outlook of, all right, God, you've got to do something here.
because I can't do it in my own power. All I'm asking you to do is the same thing every day, is to say, Lord, just use me. And you will be amazed how God shows up and is present and uses you in a great, great way. And the last thing in this story, some of you are so worried about how people are going to respond when you share something with them. I'm going to tell you how they respond. Some of them are going to want to know more. And some of them are going to think you're drunk. That hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Some of them are going to look at you and go, you know what, you're just a little loony. Just, that's, that's just like a too much religion stuff for me, you know. And you're going to have other people go, you know what, I'm not really there yet. But I kind of want to know more. We'll talk later. And some will say, you know what, I got, I got some questions for you. The response is not your problem. The message is your responsibility. Again, I come back to what happens on Sunday when I stand up here. Do you know how long I would have pastored in this church if I measured every Sunday by the response? Okay, let's see. How many people listened to me today and really did everything that we talked about? I'd have, I'd have been gone like two weeks into this thing, you know, can you imagine parenting that way? Well, the first time my kids don't listen to me, I'm out. You know. Look, God wants to use us. People are going to respond different ways. My, my responsibility before God is not how they respond. My responsibility is to share the message, the things that God has done in my life and the things that God has done in a loving truthful way when God gives me the opportunity and the rest of us the rest of it's between them and God that's what these guys do next week we're going to talk about how the people who respond we're going to talk about how they respond and they respond in in a phenomenal way okay but our responsibility is to take the gospel to the people that are in our world that's what this story is about and uh, God does it in, a, in, a, in an unusual, supernatural kind of way. And he will do the same thing with you. And you will find yourself, I'm not, I'm not going to say you're going to be speaking in tongues at somebody, but um, you're going to find yourself with words in your mouth that I'm not trying to be disrespectful to you, but you're not smart enough to say. And you're going to find yourself going, you're, you're going to find yourself going, I don't know how, I don't know where that even came from. You know, I need to write that down. That was pretty spectacular. Um, because it was God speaking through you. That's what I'm trying to get. That's what I'm trying to get across, you know. And you're going to be going, you know what, that's, that's just amazing, you know. And, and you'll walk away from those, and I've done this. You walk away from those situations going, that was a God thing. We had one of those this week. We had one of those situations this week up here, and, 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 and um, you know, I've shared it with some people and, and, and people who get it, and they're, and they're like, okay, the only way that could have ever happened is God. And I went, you betcha. You betcha. That was a God thing. And when you get to experience that, God becomes real and personal and involved in your life 
and you step back and you're just amazed that he's at work and you got to see it up close and personal. And he wants to do that with every one of us. Because you know what? These people who are gathered, I think there were more than just the 12. I think, yes, Matthias was there, but I think some of the other bench warmers were sitting there too. And I think there were a lot of people that got to experience this in a great way just because they were willing to be used. And God will do the same thing with us this week if we'll let him. So I end it this way. God fulfilled his promise and sent a comforter to permanently indwell his believers. He's decided to use common people to accomplish his plan. And he'll use anyone who's willing to follow him. As we share the gospel with others, some will embrace the message. Others will mock. But that hasn't changed for 2,000 years. Let's pray. Lord, use us. Lord, it's easy sometimes to uh, forget how much we've been given. It's easy sometimes, Lord, to step aside and, 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 and allow the world to intimidate us, to allow uh, people to intimidate us. Lord, we can stand here this week and we can be very vocal about which sport teams we support or candidates or what we think about the politics and and, 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 and what we think about a brand of tractor or a brand of car. Lord, can we be just as bold this week in what we believe about you and uh, use us? And uh, Lord, when we come to the end of next of this week, may we be able to look back and see you at work, not only in our lives, but in the lives of people around us. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's